Hey, and welcome to the Equippers Church Sermon of the Week. My name is John Sparrow. I'm the lead pastor here at Equippers Church, and I'm so thrilled that you've chosen to tune in. This week, we had a special guest speaker, and you got to know, as a church, we don't have random strangers stepping into our pulpit. We have friends whom we trust, and we believe carry a gift that adds value to us as a community. I believe the message you're about to hear will inspire you, encourage you, and equip you for life, no matter who you are or what you find yourself doing. If you'd like to find out more about our church and ways that you could partner with us, please visit EquipperCC.com. God bless. Good morning, family. See, family, not guest ministry. I love that. I love that. Hey, thanks, team. You guys are awesome. It's going to be so exciting spending time. You can take your seats. You can take your seats. It's going to be so um, awesome having time with you guys this week. And um, we're looking forward to being here for next Sunday as well. Or was I allowed to say that? I just did. Um, so it's a real privilege to be here. I'm going to do my best to, to try and measure up to the announcements. Is that okay? Because I heard the announcements are the best part of the service. And so <laughs> good luck, John says. Hey, man, thanks. No, but it's a privilege to be here. Thank you for um, having Wayne and I. And um, we, it's been a, a couple of years. It's been a minute since we were here last. But like Pastor John says, we are a um, global family. And uh, so to, to come over here again just feels like stepping into um, the cousin's home, if you like. Does that make sense? Cool. Um, but yeah, it's a privilege to be here. And, and um, I'm looking at the clock. There's no timer on it. No, but I will stick to time. Um, and, I, and Pastor John, is it okay if I hand back to you at the end? Is that cool, cool, cool? Um, we do have some resources with us, but John's going to mention those at the end as well. But um. Yeah, as, as John said, Wayne and I run Equippers, uh, the worship stream of Equippers College in Auckland. We've been doing that for six years and just saying Jack Motta needs to come. That's prophetic. Maybe it's not prophetic. Maybe it is prophetic. But um, we've had the privilege of having a number of people um, come through, Josh and Desra, Mears, Tim, um, a few years ago. And we love the chance to be able to input into these young people. And um, I think what John said was very high praise, but we, we never take it, it lightly the um, chance and the privilege it is just to build into others' lives and to train and teach and worship, but just to walk alongside people. And so um, I hope you catch our hearts this week and this morning. Um, this morning I want to talk, you know, it is Christmas season, and I love just where the worship went at the end there. You know, come let us adore him. So many people say, oh, that's that Christmas song, but it's a worship hymn. It's a worship song. Come let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And uh, we all know, or maybe we know in our heads, that Christmas is about Messiah coming. It's about God touching earth. It's about God meeting us at our most vulnerable, beautiful point of need with the only answer, and that's Jesus. And uh, so this morning, I want to talk about making room, um, about two stories in the Bible where it it talks about ones who uh, consciously made room for Jesus. Um, They're not Christmas stories, but they fit into the season beautifully. And so is that cool if I start? I'm going to read you a a chunk of Scripture, and I know that you guys are really beautifully responsive people, so you are allowed to uh, agree with anything I say this morning. Is that cool? Awesome. Yay. Awesome. So uh, let me read to you this morning from 2 Kings chapter 4, and this is the story of the Shunammite woman. Shunammite woman. There's no name, just the Shunammite woman. And I'm just going to read you this chunk. Is that cool? So starting at verse 8, it says this. One day, Elisha passed through Shunam. A leading lady of the town talked him into stopping by for a meal. And then it became his custom. 
Whenever he passed through, he stopped by for a meal. I'm certain, said the woman to her husband, that this man who stops by with us all the time is a holy man of God. Why don't we add on a small room upstairs and furnish it with a bed and a desk, chair and a lamp so that when he comes by, he can stay with us? And so it happened that the next time Elisha came by, he went to the room and lay down for a nap. And then he said to his servant Gehazi, tell the Shunammite woman I want to see her. He called her and she came to him. And through Gehazi, Elisha said, you've gone far beyond the call of duty in taking care of us. What can we do for you? Do you have a request uh, that we can bring to the king or to the commander of the army? And she replied, nothing. I'm secure and satisfied in my family. Elisha conferred with Gehazi, there's got to be something we can do for her. But what? Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is an old man. Call her in, said Elisha. He called her and she stood at the open door. Elisha said to her, this time next year, you're going to be nursing an infant son. Oh, my master, oh, holy man, she said, don't play games with me, teasing me with such fantasies. But the woman conceived, and a year later, just as Elisha had said, she had a son. The child grew up, and one day he went to his father, who was working with the harvest hands, complaining, my head, my head. His father ordered a servant, carry him to his mother. The servant took him in his arms and carried him to his mother. He lay on her lap until noon and died. At this point, we're probably thinking, this is a horrible story. Why is there such detail in this story in the Bible? She took him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut him in alone, and left. And then she called her husband, get me a servant and a donkey so I can go to the holy man. I'll be back as soon as I can. But why today? This isn't a holy day. It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, don't ask questions. I need to go right now. Trust me. She went ahead and saddled the donkey, ordering her servant, take the lead and go as fast as you can. I'll tell you if you're going too fast. And so off she went. She came to the holy man at Mount Carmel. The holy man, spotting her while she was still a long way off, said to his servant, Gehazi, look out there. Why? It's a Shunammite woman. Quickly now, ask her, is something wrong? Are you all right? Your husband? Your child? This is a crazy response. She said, everything is fine. Everything's not fine. <laughs> but her response to Gehazi is, everything is fine. But when she reached the holy man at the mountain, she threw herself at his feet and held tightly to him. Gehazi came up to pull her away, but the holy man said, leave her alone. Can't you see that she's in distress? But God hasn't let me in on why. I'm completely in the dark. Then she spoke up. Did I ask for a son, master? Didn't I tell you don't tease me with false hopes? He ordered Gehazi, don't lose a minute. Grab my staff and run as fast as you can. If you meet anyone, don't even take time to greet him. And if anyone greets you, don't even answer. Lay my staff across the boy's face. The, mother, the boy's mother said, as sure as God lives and you live, you're not leaving me behind. And so Gehazi let her take the lead and she followed behind. But Gehazi arrived first, laid the staff across the boy's face. There was no sound, no sign of life. Gehazi went back to meet Elisha and said, the boy hasn't stirred. And then Elisha enters the room and through an, a, a series of um, actions, he is able to bring the boy back to life. An incredible end to a, a very detailed story with some very interesting pieces to it. And uh, like you might, you might say, well, what's this got to do with Christmas? I mean, in a sense, nothing, but in a sense, everything. 
because this is about making room for Jesus. This is about making room for the presence of God. This is about making room for something that is so much bigger than ourselves because we know that that thing, that thing we've been waiting for is the only thing that can give us life and hope and peace and love and everything we need to live this life the way we were designed to live it. So the thing about this story that I love is that this woman is not named. Neither is her son, neither is her husband, and yet she was a leading lady in the town of Shunem. There are many other barren women talked about in the Bible who were named and whose child, who was the miracle that came from barrenness, were also named. And we hear throughout the rest of Scripture about the story or the trajectory of their life. We hear about the result. But this woman, she is not named, her child is not named which would suggest to me that this is not a story about the miracle that's come from barrenness. This is a story about a process. This is a story about something deeper. And and while I'm sensitive here, because I know there are many who are walking maybe that journey of wanting a child and not having one, there are many here who have lost a child as well. And so I want to be sensitive in that. But I, I believe this story, because this woman is not named, is about something else. It's about her decision. It's about her preparation. It's about what she did to make room for God. It's about what she did to make room for God. Now, it's Jewish culture that the the home was a place of fellowship. The home was a place where you invited people in. The Jews were very much and still are known for hospitality, generosity, the home Um, Even at the fall of the temple after the time of Jesus, the the Jewish home became the new temple. The Jewish home was where um, Sabbath was was recognized, where uh, so much of Jewish uh, tradition and feasting and, and fellowship happens now in the home. And but back in this time, this is this is in the time of Elisha, that this woman sensed something about Elisha. She sensed something about the holiness of God in this man. Now, remember, this was a time before Jesus, so they weren't living in a habitational culture. They were living in a visitational culture. So the people of Israel at that time, they knew that uh, the holiness of God would visit them, but they weren't indwelled with the presence of God. So, the, so the, the, the presence of God would visit them through people or through the, the presence of the Holy Spirit would come at different times and visit them, but he didn't live in them. The difference between a visitational and a habitational culture. Aren't you thankful today that we live in a habitational culture? We live in a time where the very power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, which means we have everything we need. And, and while that's amazing, sometimes it can make us a little bit complacent. We get a bit familiar with the presence of God. We can get a bit familiar with everything that's available to us just like that. Um, or maybe not, but maybe especially coming into this time of year when it's all about the busyness of Christmas and the busyness of the Christmas season, maybe we need to just set some time aside to make room and prepare. Prepare our homes, prepare our hearts for Messiah. Um, Pastor Sam always says at home, you know what someone's expecting by how they prepare. (laughs) You know what someone's expecting by how they prepare, how we prepare to come to church on a Sunday, how we prepare in our e-groups, how we prepare meals, how we prepare to be um, part of community that touches hearts and connects us. We expect or we're going to get what we are preparing for. So what are we willing to do to prepare for Jesus? 
What are we willing to do to prepare our homes and our hearts for more of him? This Shunammite woman, she was aware. She was a leading lady in the town. She was an important woman, both her and her husband. And she had learned to be satisfied with no child. She'd learned to be satisfied with just her and her husband. And so, but there was something about Elisha that every time he came into town, Jewish culture, yes, said, invite him in for a meal. That's what Jews did. So she would invite him, him in for a meal, her and her husband. Come, come and eat with us. Come and have a meal in our home. Let us serve you. Let us provide for you. There was something about the presence of God in Elisha that she wanted to make room for in her, in her heart. But then she went the next step and she said to, to um, her husband, why don't we build a room? Why don't we actually f- build a room and furnish it and make it home for him? make home for this man of God and his servant when they come through. That, that took a lot of effort. That took money. That took time. It took preparation. But there was an expectation in her heart, and the preparation of this space, the preparation of this room, showed um, Elisha what she was expecting. She was expecting more of God. She was expecting a greater sense of his presence. She was expecting something great in God, and she would have been satisfied with that. I believe. That's why I believe this, that she's not mentioned, that this story is a standalone story in the Bible. It's a long, detailed story. The fact that, you know, when, when she eventually had the child and then, and, you know, later on in his, in his primary school years or whatever, he got sick and died. And, and her response was still, I need to get into the presence of God. I need to make room. Can you imagine when that happened? First, the, the husband sends him home. The boy's got a headache. Go home to your mother. And so, so um, the boy comes home and, and sits with his mother and then passes away. What was her first response? It wasn't wailing. It wasn't weeping. Those are valid responses. Please hear me. It's a valid response to wail and to weep. But her response wasn't to go to all her friends and say, this terrible thing's happened. Her response was, I've got to get into the presence of God. I've got to get to where the holy man is. I've got to find Elisha and I need to get into his presence and nothing's going to stop me from getting there. And so she was making room again. She was making room. She had been satisfied. And now that the cherry on the top was she had a child and then the unthinkable thing happened. The child passed away. Her first response, I've got to make room in my heart. I've got to get to where the presence of God is. And so that's what she did. And, you know, she, she meets her husband. Her husband's like, why are you going to see the holy man? It's not a feast day. It's not a holy day. Why today? And her, her response was, to him was, don't ask questions. You'd think, you'd think she would tell her husband. Her husband had sent the boy home sick. You'd think he'd be wanting to know. And her first response was, don't ask any questions. Just trust me. This woman knew what the presence of God meant. This woman understood that if she could just get to where the holiness, where the presence of God was, she would find her answer there. She made room. She made room. So then she, she just told her husband, don't ask questions, just trust me. Imagine if she'd let a whole lot of stuff come out of her mouth. Maybe the miracle might not have happened. I don't know. That's just my supposition. That's just me kind of musing on it a wee bit. But there was something about it. They said, I need to zip my lips and I need to get into the presence of God first. And so then she went on and then she met Gehazi. And Gehazi asked all the right questions. Is everything okay? Your husband, your boy gets right to the heart of the matter. And her response to Gehazi is, 
everything is fine. I mean, denial, maybe. Lying, yes. (laughs) Or maybe I'm trusting the presence of God. I need to get there before I let anything come out of my heart, before I pour out my heart, before I pour out my emotions. I'm going to get into the presence of God, and I'm going to lay it all at his feet. Not saying Elisha was God, but again, visitational culture. To her, she'd made room in her heart and her home for the presence of Elisha, the presence of God through Elisha. And she knew that her answer lay there. And then she met Gehazi. She got into the the presence of Elisha, and that's when she poured it all out. And the questions were raw, and the questions were real. Why did you give me a son? Didn't I ask you not to? Didn't I ask you not to tease me with such fantasies? She poured out her honest, real heart in the presence of God. But first she made room. First she made room. Imagine if she'd never invited Elisha into her world. Imagine if she'd never made room for the presence of God, not only in her in her heart by inviting him in for a meal, but her and her husband building a room, a place of habitation for the presence of God. Can you see how this really is a Christmas story? God's asking us to make room. In the busyness, in the midst of whatever we're walking through, will we make room for him? Will we make room for him? You know what you're going to, uh, you know what you're expecting by what you're preparing for. I remember being pregnant with our daughter and uh, not having any idea what it was going to be like. You know, I was, to be honest, a little bit scared. I'm like, what is this? You know, I was, I, I was ready in my mind to have a child, but at the same time, I was so not ready. And so, like, I would have dreams about giving birth to children fully clothed with teeth, <laughs> like adults. <laughs> they, they say you have weird dreams and you're pregnant, but these were weird, man. Like, I never once gave birth to a baby in my dreams, although I did have a dream the other night. It was a newborn baby. Hmm grandchildren? Not yet. <laughs> but but, um, but yeah, I can remember being, like, preparing. We prepared a room for the baby. We prepared in our hearts. We dreamed. We thought about it. We, we, um, we really mused on, on this little one coming to live with us. And I remember one stage thinking, it's like a boarder is coming to live in our house. I don't know if you have boarders, like you take people into board with you. Does that happen here? Yeah, yeah. So we, someone, it's like someone's coming to rent a room. <laughs> what if I don't like her? And I remember the moment she was born, looking in her little face and crying and just saying, I know you, I know you, because I'd made room, I'd prepared, and I knew what I was expecting, even though in my natural mind it was a bit messed up. As soon as she was born and I looked at her, I know you, you're my child. So, So there was an expectation because we had prepared. The way we prepared showed what we were expecting. And so then the other story, this is, this is again, it's not, it's not a Christmas story, but um, let me just pull it up here. But this is the story of um, a man who climbed a tree. That's not that one, just a minute. Chat amongst yourselves for a second and say, you look beautiful this morning, or handsome, or both, whatever. <laughs> okay. So the second story is in Luke chapter 19, and it's the story of Zacchaeus. I love this story. Again, it's not traditionally a Christmas story, but it's a story that uh, tells a lot about the state of a man's heart. Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there. His name's Zacchaeus, the head tax man and quite rich. 
He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. And when Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Or in another translation, it says, I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with, his, with this crook? Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned. I love that. Can you, you can picture it, eh? Zacchaeus just like, oh, I just wanted to see Jesus, and now he wants to come to my house. He stammered apologetically. Master, I give away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. That's a big claim. Jesus said, today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Again, a beautiful picture. Zacchaeus was a rotten man. <laughs> Zacchaeus was a tax collector, one of the chief tax collectors. The people, the Jewish religious people saw him as a crook, as a cheat, as a liar, as an extortionist. He was a bad man in their eyes. But there was something about Zacchaeus that wanted to see Jesus. There was something about Zacchaeus that had to make a physical space to be able to see him. He'd heard the stories. He'd heard the rumors. He'd heard about Jesus doing miracles. And somehow he knew he was coming to town. And he could see the bustle, Jesus walking along with all the religious people around him. And they're talking. But he's a short man. He's vertically challenged. <laughs> and he can't see Jesus above the crowd. He can't see him. And so he, he knows he wants to get close to him. And I don't know what it was. You know, we, we read in hindsight about Jesus and what he, but this was just, this is Jesus who just blew into the scene and, and was a complete anomaly, a complete surprise, a complete um, contradiction to everything the Jewish people expected. I love that about Jesus. He's never what we expect. He's always what we don't expect. And yet when we have an expectation of him, he never dissatisfies us. He always meets that. And so Zacchaeus hears about Jesus, and he's heard about him, and he's like, he's coming to town. I need to see him. But can you imagine? He knows what people think of him. He knows what the religious people and the other Jews think of him. So he's not just going to bustle straight into the crowd and push through the people to get close to Jesus. There's shame involved here. There's embarrassment. There's a, oh, I, don't, I know people don't like me. So, so maybe if I can just get a vantage point that's above all of that. Maybe if I just make room, a, a bigger vista, a greater viewpoint, a different perspective, a bigger perspective where I can see Jesus from a different place. Maybe if I can just make room. And so he runs ahead. And even that, the dignity of a Jewish man running, he, he ran like a kid, you know, and he runs ahead and he sees a tree up ahead and he scrambles up the tree. There's a lack of dignity in that even. <laughs> but he doesn't care because he just wants to see Jesus. He just wants to see Jesus. And so he scrambles ahead and he climbs up the tree and, and he can see him and he can, 
hear the talk and he's, and he's part of it while not having pushed his way through, but he's, he's viewing from a bigger platform, from a higher perspective. And, and he just wants to see him. He's not necessarily expecting anything, just wants to see him. But Jesus gets to the tree. I, don't, I, I think there was a lot of bustle around Jesus. I don't think Jesus saw Zacchaeus run on ahead. But there was something at the bottom of that tree that he was sensing. Was it faith? I think it was. Was it an expectation that was drawing him, just like the woman who touched Jesus' cloak with the issue of blood, and, and he said, who touched me? And a crowd of bustling people, who touched me? Everyone was touching him, but someone touched him. Someone touched his cloak because they were desperate for a miracle. So maybe Jesus got to the bottom of the tree and he sensed faith up in that tree. Maybe he sensed a desperation. Maybe he sensed love and, a, and a, a something in the heart of this man who'd made room to see him. And so he, he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from the tree. I'm coming to your place for dinner. <laughs> oh, man, I love that. Do you know what I love about these two stories? Zacchaeus is named. The Shunammite woman wasn't named, which again was about the process. But Zacchaeus was named. Zacchaeus, Jesus knew his name. Jesus didn't change his name. There were so many that Jesus said, Simon, you are Simon, which means a, a reed, but you will be called Peter, which means a rock. You know, Jacob, this is who you are, but you will be named Israel. Abram, you'll, you'll be named Abraham. Sarai, your name will be Sarah. So many people he renamed to align their destiny and their identity with, with what he said about them. But he called him Zacchaeus. I don't know if you know this, but Zacchaeus means pure. I love that. Zacchaeus means pure. Jesus looked at Zacchaeus' heart, and in the midst of his extortion, in the midst of his trickery, in the midst of his robbery, in the midst of everything that the Jewish people said he was, Jesus called him pure. And he looked up and he said, pure Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, come down from the tree because I'm coming to dinner at your house tonight. Zacchaeus made room. Zacchaeus made room. Zacchaeus in the heart of hearts and his very being said, I've got to see Jesus. I'm not expecting anything more than just being able to get a glimpse of him. But Jesus turned his world around that day, made room for him. Zacchaeus made room for him and Jesus came on. And <laughs> again, like I said, the, the Jewish custom of eating, being in someone's home was the most intimate thing around the table, around a feast, around meals. was where It, it was a place of belonging. It was a place of honor. It was a place of uh, fellowship. It was a place where, where uh, stories were exchanged, where sacred, uh, not sacred rituals, but uh, a, lot of, a lot of beautiful, both religious, but also just very earthy, real things happen around the table. And the, the Jewish people knew that the, the home was the center of all of that of intimacy, of fellowship, of, of life, of freedom, of joy. And so when the people around Jesus heard, I'm going to Zacchaeus' house, it was completely out of the box. They were shocked. They were indignant. They grumped, the word of God says. They're like, what? What is he doing hanging around with, with crooks, with this crook? What's he doing going to dinner at the house of an absolute sinner? You can hear the religious yuckness. Is that even a word? 
<laughs> Yuckness. You can hear the religious garbage in it. These religious, self-righteous, pompous people who were so familiar with Jesus, they're walking with him. They, they, they should have known better. They should have understood that Jesus was everything outside of the box. And so when Jesus said, I'm going to Zacchaeus' house, they complained. Do you know what I love about the story? Again, this is me kind of musing on it a wee bit. I love the fact that Jesus didn't answer them. He didn't say, be quiet. I'm going to his place. He just kept his eyes on Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus kept his eyes on Jesus. And, and the, the turn in Zacchaeus' heart at that point, he was astonished. He was humbled. He was amazed. And there was an instant change. I give away half my money. And anyone I've cheated, there was a lot of risk in that because anyone can come up and say, hey, you cheated me. Hey, you, you know. But he was saying, if I've cheated anyone, I'll pay it back four times over. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this man today. Salvation has come to this house today. Zacchaeus made room for Jesus. The Shunammite woman made room for Jesus. I think about Mary, the mother of Jesus, who when the angel encountered her, her response was, be it unto your handmaiden as you say. This is maybe a 12, 14-year-old girl engaged to be married, being told that she is going to be the mother of the Messiah as a virgin. Can you? I mean, we've all heard stories about or sermons or messages on this whole thing. But that would have been terrifying. But she made room. And it says Mary treasured these things in her heart. And she just basically surrendered her will to his, made room. And the, the, the privilege of being the mother of Messiah. Her, her cousin Elizabeth, another barren one, when, when her, her and Zechariah heard that they were going to have a baby, Zechariah was on priestly duty that day in the temple. And, um, and the angel appeared in the Holy of Holies to, to Zechariah and, um, and said, you're gonna, the prayer you have been praying is being answered. You're going to have a baby. And the translation of that, of that, that um, thing, thing that the angel said, the prayer, your prayers have been answered, basically means the prayer that you stopped praying. Elizabeth and Zechariah had been praying and praying and praying for a baby, and then they were well past childbearing years, and they stopped praying. They stopped praying for the miracle, but then they made room. Zechariah didn't believe it. He was struck dumb, <laughs> uh, couldn't speak until the birth of John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. But Elizabeth went away, and she treasured all this. She stored this up. She sung a song of worship. She made room in her heart to carry the forerunner of Jesus. What an amazing story. But like I said, you know, Jewish culture was that you made room. You made room for strangers when people were coming through. Um, when people were coming through for holy days and festivals and, and that sort of thing, people always open up their homes, even to strangers. People would say, come, you can, you can have lodging with us. Come as you're coming to the festival. We'll feed you. It was just a, a, a very natural part of Jewish culture. And so how ironic it is that when Mary and Joseph went to, um, to, to, to uh, I was the census, eh? went to sign in, um, and there was no one that would open up their home to them. She's carrying the Messiah. She's pregnant, about to give birth, and all they could find was a stable. All they could find was an inn with animals. And we look at that and think, what a crazy place for the king of kings to be born. And, and that day and age where it was such a part of their culture to make room, no one was able to make room for the king of kings. And yet I think, how like Jesus 
to, to be outside of the box. He wanted to go against all convention, all tradition, all religious expectation, even cultural expectation, and say, I'm going to be born in the most unexpected place because I want to break you out of your convention, your tradition, your religious posturing, your cultural ideas. I'm going to break you out of those, and I'm going to be born in the most lowly of place, something you're not expecting so that you can see who I truly am. So this morning, I, I, Wayne, are you able to come up, babe? I'm going to hand back to Pastor John, but I want to encourage you this morning. Make room for Jesus. Whatever that looks like for you, if it's, a, if it's a, a time thing, make room for him. Spend time with him. Worship him. Worship the king. Don't wait till you understand everything about him to worship him. Because guess what? You never will. <laughs> You'll never know everything there is to know. That's the mystery and the wonder of Jesus. But like the Shunammite woman who said, I'm, I've got to get room. I've got to make room in my home and my heart for more of his presence. Make room for his presence. This Christmas season, make room for his presence. Don't get so caught up in the busyness, even the joy and the fun of Christmas. I love Christmas. It's my favorite. <laughs> it really is. But there's something about just making room for Jesus in the midst because he really is. The reason, like, the, um, like Zacchaeus, the pure one, the son of Abraham, whose overwhelming response when Jesus said, I'm coming to eat in your home tonight, was a changed life. That's the best response we can give him. That's the best response we can give him. There's a beautiful song called Make Room by Jonathan McReynolds. And um, we'd love just to sing that for you real quickly now. And just then as Pastor John comes back up and wraps up this morning, make room for Jesus. Why don't you close your eyes? Jesus, you're my 
feeling encouraged, inspired, and equipped to take on whatever you may be facing in this life. And hey, why don't you consider joining us? We meet every Sunday at the Clark Center in Arroyo Grande at 10 a.m., and it's always a good time. We'd love to have you with us. And for any more information, ways you can partner with us, please visit equipperscc.com. God bless. Ready?